Two and two. He struck him out. A home opener, complete game shutout, twirled by Lance Lynn. First shutout in a home opener since the venerable Wilbur Wood in 1976. Doesn't get much better than that. He was really in command, and what an outstanding outing. Did not walk a royal. I'm a big bastard, that's how I know. Yeah, it's June. No one gives a Lance has a locker. I have an office. Oh, Lance Lynn is amped. He said, let's go. Oh, and a couple of other things, too. One-two pitch is swung on and missed, and a scoreless frame put up by Lance Lynn. And now he's locked and loaded for the White Sox for another couple years. It's hit and run with me, Matt Spiegel, here with you on 670 The Score. God, Wilbur Wood is a uh, delightful reference to have in the face of Lance Lynn conversation. Um, if you're, uh, if you're, you know, hanging around on the Internet and you want to look at BaseballReference.com because you're like me and you just would like to check out some people that do some things that will never be done again, feel free to check out between 1972 and 1975 for Wilbur Wood and the Chicago White Sox. He led the league in starts in those seasons. Sean Anderson, would you like to guess his high for starts in a season as a pitcher in 1972? 48. 49 in 1972. 48 starts the next year, then 42, then 43, as he led all of baseball all four years. That uh, year, 1972, 376 and two-thirds innings. Finished seventh in MVP voting, did Wilbur Wood. Probably because voters looked out at the White Sox game, and he was always on the mound. How was that guy there again? He's still there. 376 innings. Lance Lynn is not going to throw 300 innings, but he could throw 200. He did in 2019. And these days, that's a big pile. Lance Lance Lynn is a horse. And I mean that in the most beautiful baseball sense. Dude just will go out there and huck it. He, uh, and he just wants to go deep into every game. He stays strong through the end of his starts. You have seen this over and over where many times he stayed in for an extra batter or an extra full inning and has been strong. He is a rarity in this league, an increasingly valuable one and should be leaned on as such. Because when you've got that guy and so few teams around the league have that guy, he represents an opportunity for you to rest your bullpen represents an opportunity for, for him to go deeper and has proven trustworthy to get a lineup the third time through or hell, maybe even the fourth time through. His profile in terms of his stuff, what he throws, all variations on the fastball, how his arm reacts, his track record of injury or lack thereof, his strength, which has been on display steadily, It's going to continue. Lance Lynn is going to age well. He has already aged well. Over 16 starts this year. He's 9-2 with a 1.99 ERA. He led the American League in innings last year at 84. 
in the uh, shortened 60-game season. He's at 90 innings now with three more starts than he had all of last year. And, and to me, he just, the fit is so good. He loves it here. He is beloved here. Lance Lynn looks like a White Sox fan. He has a short answer, salty good humor that fits the fan base. He is an edgy, self-proclaimed big bastard. He makes no apologies for who he is. And the Sox, it's just such a good fit. And now they lock it in very nice and very early this year. Let's hear from Lance Lynn before the game yesterday. Said about the White Sox, this is where he wanted to be. I think that, uh, you know, being able to talk with Rick in the front office, uh, this is where I wanted to be. They wanted to keep me here and to be wanted is an awesome feeling. So, uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to uh, pitching here for, you know, the, the next few years and doing everything I can to, uh, you know, help this organization uh, achieve what they're set out to do. And that's win another championship. Uh, when I met Jerry in spring training this year, his first thing he said was, I'm looking to win another championship. And that's what I'm all about is trying to do everything I can to win. So I'm here to, to help try to do that. So he referenced that conversation with Jerry in the spring, setting the template for what the year was, what the relationship was going to be like. And Lance Lynn is a winner. Um, he, uh, he talked about, uh, did Lance Lynn, how the South Side resonates with him. You know, you're starting to see the fans every night uh, here, and that's exciting, especially once we were able to get to full capacity. Uh, the fans are excited. They want to win. Uh, you know, I want to be a part of bringing a winner to them. And uh, every time I take them out, I'm doing everything I can to make sure that not only that they're entertained, but also we got a chance to win the game and they've got something to cheer for. You know, he's reached a point in his career where he can choose where he wants to be and what it's based on and what it's about. He's bounced around a little bit. He's got a taste for baseball all over this league in both the American and the National League. And he knows this is a fit. Um, and he knows what they are building for the future. A couple more from Lance Lynn. Uh, he said Tony La Russa, who he had a relationship with, obviously going back to his rookie year in St. Louis, uh, Tony La Russa did have some say on this mm, transaction. I don't know. You know, you don't really know what the conversations that they have personally is, but I know that uh, since the day that I've got here in spring training, uh, everything's been, it's felt like a perfect fit. Uh, even the guys in the clubhouse, clubhouse staff and everybody, uh, you know, when I walked in today, everybody was really excited to have me around for the next couple of years. So that's always a good feeling. So, you know, you don't know personal conversations, but I'm sure that uh, that Tony had some definitely say into making sure that uh, there's a chance that I could stay around for a couple of years. Ah, uh, yes, the old and interesting White Sox power structure. This is uh, this is where it works, you know. Rick Hahn builds and builds and builds, and then the manager is foisted upon him, and now the manager has a lot of say on stuff like this. And it, listen to Tony, who's doing a very good job this year, people. Don't, don't hear me wrong. Don't hear me wrong. <laughs> and this is Tony talking about the Lance Lynn extension. And uh, first, let's hear 1216, Sean, the, the contract, what message it sends to the team. You know, you just think about men, not machines. And you think about the, the you know, since I've been managing distractions to get in the way of you doing your best. Uh, and a distraction could be, well, you know, my numbers are this and that. And you know, what's going to mean at the end of the year when I go on the market? So, 
I think there's a certain sense there that, you know, you, you, you take care of one distraction and then you hope he's not going to get comfortable because he's got it made. But in the end, I don't think the contract now or later changes the way Lance looks at pitching that day. He wants to get the guys out. He's a competitor. I think what it does is it just sends the right message to the team that, you know, this guy has proven he can help us this year and going forward. Sends the message to the team that this guy's proven. Look, to me, when I look at Lance Lynn and I think about Lance Lynn, I see a game one playoff starter. I do. I know Carlos Rodon has been better. I know that. Carlos Rodon has been, you know, they've probably been one, two in the American League, frankly. But I love Lynn's attitude. I love his demeanor. I love this as a weaponized starting pitcher arm who you can then bring back however you want. You want him back in three days for game four? Maybe you don't feel great about Keiko or Cease by then as your game four guy. You know, it's to me, it's more likely that Lynn could do that than Rodon. And then you're sandwiching Rodon. Lynn, Rodon, Giolito. Let's see what kind of second half Giolito has. You know, that is a guy who uh, you thought was going to be your ace coming in, has thrown a no-hitter, has been terrific in his playoff start last year. If he has a great second half, I wonder if Giolito is going to step up and give you that air of game one playoff starter. These are the good problems. These are the good questions. The fun things to debate. Hell, I remember debating during 2015. Could Jake Arrieta surpass John Lester as a game one playoff starter for the Cubs? That was the 2015 conversation. And then Arietta was so ridiculously good that Lester was the first guy to say it. Lester was the guy to say, yeah, um, Jake is obviously going to start whatever playoff game we get first, as he should. You know, this is the fun stuff. What does this signing say to the league? You know, what, what is this? It says to the league that a winner has been put together, that they're, they're staying a winner. They're committed to being here for a while. And that if you should ever choose to come here or get traded here and you do your job, you might get rewarded sooner rather than later. Sends a good message around the league, too. And, and, and don't forget what a good economic fit this is. 18 and a half mil for next year, 18 and a half mil for the year after that. And then there's a $1 million buyout, which is why um, it's a 48, or excuse me, a, a, a 38 mil total. So, but the Sox have an option year on top of that, which they may or may not pick up. But look, he's an older pitcher, so you don't have to pay quite as much. How much is a, is a pitcher like this worth on a season-to-season basis? How much would you pay? If Lance Lynn is going to be this guy, you happily pay $25 million. Some organizations would pay $30 million for a pitcher like this with a bankable, uh, a, a bankable uh output like this but he's old so you can get away with paying less and he wants to be here so you get away with paying less since the start of 2019 lance lynn has 383 innings pitched 62 starts 31 wins an era just over three yes thank you Uh, an era just over three at 3.20 
In wins above replacement, I looked at this this morning. Since the start of 2019, among pitchers in wins above replacement, which is, you know, a a nice catch-all to just kind of look overall at what the value is. Where is Lance Lynn? How high uh, in wins above replacement since the beginning of 2019? Sean Anderson, I, I enjoy quizzing you. What do you got? Can, can you restate the question again? Because I'm just Since trying. the beginning of 2019. So a full season there, the sprint season last year, and the first half of this season. Where is Lance Lynn among pitchers in wins above replacement? How high on the list? I'm going to say third. He's not quite that high. Damn. He is sixth. I'll Here are the it. guys ahead of him. Jacob deGrom, Garrett Cole, Zach Wheeler, Shane Bieber, Max Scherzer. That's it. Then Lance Lynn. He's ahead of guys like Zach Greinke and Walker Bueller and Hugh Darvish. You know who's right behind Lance Lynn is Lucas Giolito. So you've got six and seven on the list of uh, pitchers among wins above replacement since the beginning of 2019. Nice place to be. 312-644-6767 is the phone number. Uh, lots to talk about with the Cubs and the Sox the rest of this hour. A couple of guests in the 11 o'clock hour. But let's go to the phone lines. Joe is in Downers Grove, wants to talk about the Lance Lynn extension right now with me, Matt Spiegel, on Hit and Run. Good morning, Joe. How are you? Hey, Matt. How are you doing? Wonderful. Yeah, what the Lance Lynn extension means to me as a White Sox fan is that you're looking at a guy who's in that clubhouse who's sitting there saying, this team is poised for the next few years to make some serious runs at competing and getting into the World Series. And, um, you know, he, he, he sees that, and that's what it means to me as a Sox fan uh, to see that. They've got a, a great young staff. They've got, you know, great young players that are, are going to be competitive for the next, you know, three and plus years down the line. And yes. So him him signing to me just strengthens that and and makes me really excited as a Sox fan to see that. That's really cool. Um, I'm glad you take it that way. They should be glad you take it that way. That is the message that it sends. And, you know, if they don't give up some of their big-time prospects that could be helpful in the next three, four years, at the trade deadline here, I wonder if fans will take that that way as well or if fans will take it as i can't believe they wouldn't go for it i can't believe they didn't go for it because the same kind of thing could be argued you know you've seen gavin sheets and jake berger do they look like guys that could help you in the next few years to me that is an easy yes it's a quick yes so do you want to give those guys up do you you know, it's, it, you have to think about multiple years. And yes, every year is sacred. And should you err on the side of aggression when it comes to going for a title with an opportunity like this? I would say yes, but I would put the pressure on the bosses to do it financially. And maybe that pressure will be responded to. You see an extension right here for Lynn. You see the designation for assignment and the money eating of the Adam Eaton trade. Maybe you will see a willing swallow of all of the contract of somebody who comes here via trade in the next couple of weeks. And if you do see that willing swallow of, uh, of the money, 
then the quality of prospect going back should be much, much lower. That's how these things work. As Sean mentioned earlier when talking about the Bryant deal. 312-644-6767 is the phone number. One more on this with Ron on the south side on the score on Hit and Run. What's up, Ron? Baseball is life. Good morning, sir. Absolutely. Look here, just a wonderful signing. You know, one of the things when you go, I think of this, I'm just going to think of this this season, when we had, so the White Sox had a lot of uncertainty. Who was going to be the four or five pitch? Uh, so we, looking into the future of next year, it's not like having pretty much your starting rotation. You got five pitchers that are signed next year. That, that To me, that is just significant. Right? At the end of the day, just having your pitchers. But you know what, Steve? When I look at him pitching this year, it just takes me back to 1983 when Lamar Hoyt was arguably the best pitcher in, in, in baseball, definitely in the American League. Uh, so when I see Lance Lynn, that's who, it, it, this year is just remind. And with Tony La Russa, the whole 83 thing just is, is, is on my mind a lot. And I just hope that, you know, I, I, as great as that 2005 White Sox pitching staff, that 83 pitching staff was fantastic. So that's it. But, yeah, good, great signing. Um, the White Sox, just the future just looks good, Steve. That's all. And as, as a fan, that, that's what you want to see. So, all right, Steve, that's it. Have a good weekend. <laughs> Thank you, Ron. I appreciate you. Yeah, 1983. You're not the only one who wants it to feel like that. I I think ownership wants it to feel like that. You know who the manager of the year in the American League was in 1983? It was Tony LaRusso. Oh, you you knew it. it. You know he was the – that one you knew. You know he was the first manager of the year ever in the American League? Tommy Lasorda, the first ever manager of the year in the National League, just imagine if Tony La Russa wins Manager of the Year this year in 2021, that will be 38 years between Manager of the Year awards. And it, it will be, I, I won't say it's unbreakable, but it's, it's certainly unbreakable anytime soon. Because I don't think any of the guys like in the next decade after that are going to come back and win Manager of the Year anytime soon. Most of them are not alive. Um, and those who are alive are not managing. Tom Kelly, not really going to be coming back. Uh, if Buck Showalter comes back, he won it in 94. So he'd have to win it in 2033 to tie uh, LaRusso's record. Hey, Whitey Herzog is alive. If Whitey Herzog came down, he could do it. Jimmy Leland in 1990 for the Pirates. So if Leland... Won it in 2028. That would be the equivalent of what Tony La Russa might do. That 83 team that, uh, that Ron was talking about and Ron was deeply in love with. Uh, your pitchers, Lamar Hoyt with 36 games started. Dotson with 35. Floyd Bannister with 34. Britt Burns with 26. Jerry Kuzman with 24 starts. Nobody else had more than five. Just five dudes going out there and slinging it. And he's feeling the consistency and the power of having five starting pitchers under contract next year. And that fifth one, by the way, is Michael Kopech. So 
That'd be all right. Slot in Kopech there at five. Cease is your four. Keichel, your three. Giolito and Lynn, your two and one. That works out pretty well, especially if uh, Kopech continues to throw like he's throwing right now. 312-644-6767 is the phone number. Oh, God. Um, I'm giggling because I said something ridiculous that I knew was ridiculous when I said it. And, of course, people are hopping on it. I'm not going to repeat it because it sounds more like, I don't know, what a porn film uh, critique show might mention. And that's not what I meant by saying it. That is that is that is for damn sure. Ah, then we'll come back and talk with you about all sorts of things, including Cubs and Jed Hoyer. Opportunity, opportunity for Jed Hoyer to decide what he wants this next era of Cubs baseball to be. Let's talk about it next. And Clayton Richard, top of the hour. Andy McCullough in one hour on Hit and Run on the Score. Yeah, I think that people always point to the Yankees in 16, but I think there's plenty of like there's plenty of other you know examples of, of teams that. You know, had had a year where they they struggled. I think you look at the, what the Red Sox have done. Um, you know, they won the World Series in thirteen and fourteen and fifteen. They struggled. Um, they won the division in sixteen, seventeen. Won the World Series in eighteen. Um, struggled in twenty. You know, I think they've picked in the top ten like three times, and they won a bunch of World Series in that time. So I think you know, I just using them as an example of like there's, you know, sometimes there's a lot of stability like we, we just we've, we've had that that period and sometimes you know a, te- a, you know, a team has like a year they, they go down and they go right back up so um yeah i think using the yankees in, in 16 i think that's a that's a probably a fairly apt way to look at it but i wouldn't put any kind of label name on it so that's jed hoyer um rebuffing the idea of rebuild and then talking about the yankees in 2016 now, the Yankees in 2016 immediately started going for it again. Will the Cubs be doing that in the spring of 2022? I've been, I've been granting them that one full year next year to do more of what you're going to see the rest of this year, which is check out young players, which is get value in the farm system for whatever you can, which is to let payroll dwindle so you are ready to expend again as soon as you need to on the right pieces. Uh, but, it, you know, lots of big, big, very interesting decisions to come for Jed Hoyer. A couple of bits of baseball news. The Tuesday game with the Brewers um, at home there in Milwaukee has been moved to 310 Central. That's Brewers Royals. So it doesn't conflict with game six of the Bucks and Suns NBA finals. Uh, I love that idea. You know, and it's not baseball saying more people are going to watch that than us. It's a town. It's Milwaukee. The Bucks might win their first NBA title in 50 years. Let Brewers fans, who are probably also Bucks fans, watch it. So that's one thing. And Jacob deGrom officially shut down for a while here by the Mets. I don't see that tweet. Sean, do you have the specifics on what that story is in terms of deGrom? Uh, sorry, that was from uh, Odyssey Sports. Uh, it just says uh, J- Mets Jacob Degrom shut down with forearm tightness. I don't know if okay. anything else changed. I thought, you know. yeah, I don't believe I don't believe anything else has has changed on that front. But thank you. Uh, coming up later in the day, Cubs and Diamondbacks from Arizona at three ten Central pregame gets going a little bit after two thirty, right here on the Score and the White Sox 
and the Astros in the final of their game. By the way, that's Zach Davies and Merrill Kelly for the Cubs and the D-backs. Carlos Rodon and the White Sox at 110 hosting Framber Valdez and the Astros in a very good pitching matchup of lefties uh, down there on the south side. Um, other good matchups around baseball, the Brewers and the Reds. Corbin Burns and Sonny Gray is a good one. The Padres and the Nationals, Joe Musgrove and Max Scherzer is a good one, but they've got another game to finish that was suspended yesterday. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the hour. But first, let's go to the phone lines and talk to Tony in Milwaukee on 670 The Score. Hello, Tony. Good morning. Hey, Matt. Thank you. You, uh, you totally uh, preempted me on <laughs> the Jed Hoyer thing, but that was uh, exactly what I was going to say. I, I feel like... Jed was always kind of in Theo's shadow, and uh, I think that even when Theo took him from San Diego low these many years ago, uh, you know, he never really got a chance to put his stamp on any team as solely just him. So this is going to be quite a lot uh, on him. And uh, I was curious to see exactly what you thought the window of that was going to be. And uh, just also a little food for thought because you can add this to the discussion too which i'm sure all the white Sox fans are going to tweet in and hate me on it for is anybody worried about their like nine games under 500 against their nine games below 500 against teams over 500 so uh i'll stop talking <laughs> and let you comment on those two thoughts just being a cubs fan thanks buddy <laughs> be you baby be you that's not only what matt Nagy says about his players. It's what Tim Anderson says. You guys read that? Tim Anderson, you know, all these young players that are coming in, T.A. says to them, go ahead and be you. Turn your music on. If you're a guy who wears jewelry, make sure your chain's popping out. I just thought of that because, hey, man, Tony's a Cubs fan, and he's got a little White Sox antagonism in him. Go ahead and be you. Uh, Yes, uh, people have talked about, even White Sox fans have talked about, they have trouble beating good teams so far. Um, There will be good teams in the playoffs. This is a very, very common thing, though. We'll see. You can take that for as much food for thought as you want. Uh, Liam Hendricks asked about it on Friday with the Astros. All right, so they swept us in June. Who gives a bleep, said Liam Hendricks. As he became, I think, the fourth White Sox player to curse on the afternoon show here on 670 The Score. Quite a run we're having. Um, so, yeah, they'll get their chance. They'll get their chance in the playoffs to battle against the better teams. Congratulations, just swept us in June. Uh, who gets That's Liam Hendricks the other day with Grody and Ranji. By the way, it's me and Chris Ranji tomorrow, Monday, on the Parkins and Spiegel show before Danny comes back uh, on Tuesday. So, yeah, White Sox fans have thought about that. Um, yes, Cubs, Hoyer. What does he want to do? Yeah, that's why there was a good question and a good answer about what Jed thinks makes a good offense, makes a good functional offense with our Lawrence Holmes about a week and a half ago when Jed was on. And Jed answered that. And among the things he answered uh, and talked about there was a very vocal value of contact guys, of guys who hit for contact as to mix in to the lineup. And he referenced Duffy and Nico. He referenced Zobrist. And in his mind, I'm sure he was thinking about Castellanos or trade acquisitions like Daniel Murphy, whether they worked out or not. These guys have always known, and Jed has always known you need those guys. But now I think it's more of an, it's just even more obvious. As the one month that things looked good for this offense was when Duffy and Horner were making a lot of contact and the power guys were like, oh yeah, it's kind of cool to make contact. 
So that to me is going to be a big thing is that Jed is, is, is not going to load up on power guys and just hope he gets uh, more home runs than anybody. That is what a lot of people do and it can work, but I don't think that's what Jed's going to do. You know, Jed has come back to the middle on the, on a lot of issues that are kind of analytics versus scouting or three true outcomes versus contact, you know? And if you listen to Theo, he has too a little bit recent comments on a podcast from Theo talking about how analytics are great, but you can't trust them uh, in full and, and too over the top. And some of those were taken out of context, by the way, but I, I only add that to let you know, I think they both have come back to the middle a little bit and maybe that's being older um, maybe that is a reaction to a younger wave of even more analytics and even more strident debate. But Jed has come back to the middle on a bunch of those things, and I think you'll see a more balanced offensive approach the next few years. And really the only way to get that is to have a balanced offensive roster. They've tried to teach it, tried to teach the power guys to be contact guys, and it just has not worked. This is uh, Jim in Naperville on the score with me, Matt Spiegel, and Hitting Ramon. Good morning, Jim. How are you? I'm good. I'm a lifelong uh, Sox fan. I was in, uh, you know, seat seven, you know, section 139 when Scott Pacenic hit the walk-off home run in 2005. But I'm reflecting back to your Wilbur Wood contest uh, or a yeah. comment that uh, when I was a kid, you know, my dad would take us to the Sox game back in the Goose Gosh, it's Terry Foster days. And uh, I remember Wilbur Wood started the first game, and then the second game of a doubleheader, he started the second game. Just uh, <laughs> framing up on that 1976, maybe you could help me out with the date. Uh, I'm going to yeah. be quiet listening. <laughs> yeah, man, uh, thank you. I, I, I know that he did that, and I, I, but I, I, don't, I don't remember. Let's see, uh, 1973, part of that year. Uh, with the, let's see, in the second game, uh, let's see, no, 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 I will find it. Both ends of the doubleheader. I do remember um, hearing about it. Damn it, where is it? I will find it. It yes. looks like July May 20th. Tw- oh. I, sorry, buddy. I got it. July 20th, he started both ends of a doubleheader. One of two pitchers to do so since Don Newcomb in 1950. Um, he failed to get any outs in the first game and took the loss. So then Chuck Tanner let him start game two. So it's not like he went seven. Like, that's one of those stats you hear and you're like, oh, my God, what did he go, seven and then seven again? No, he didn't get any outs in game one. So game two, Tanner's like, hey, Wilbur, go, go back out there again. Go back out there. He gave up seven runs in four and a third. So he lost the second start of the day. That's pretty funny. So, yeah, you know, it's one of those things that sounds super impressive. And then you look up the context like, oh, he sucked in the first game and then he was still warm. So go ahead and start the second game. And he also sucked in that game. But he didn't suck all year. That's uh, that's for sure. Three, one, two, six, forty four, sixty seven, sixty seven. A couple more of your phone calls to come. And we got to update you on a very scary situation from last night in MLB callers. Hang on and we will talk to you and talk about that on Hit and Run on the Score. We're back on 670 The Score. Top of the hour. 
Clayton Richard with Cubs and White Sox ties, both including very recent White Sox connections with some of the young guys who are up and here. He was there with them last year at the alternate site. But uh, looking forward to that conversation. And then at 11.30, Andy McCullough, national baseball writer for The Athletic, who wrote a great great profile on Tony La Russa. Uh, last night, the Padres and the Nationals were playing in Washington uh, in the sixth inning last night. There was a shooting outside the park, outside the ballpark. And what was scary was that people inside the ballpark, including umpires, had no idea where the shots were coming from. You could hear them on the audio that you're about to hear. And imagine being at a game and hearing gunshots and not knowing if it was inside the park or outside the park. Listen to this. Insurance runs on five hits, all singles. And one man left. So... That, that's an exchange of gunfire. Sounds like automatic weapons uh, between people in two cars just outside of the stadium. Apparently three people were injured and one of the people shot was a woman attending the game who was hit while she was outside the stadium. She, her injuries are not life-threatening, thankfully. But it, it was a crazy scene. The umpire crew chief told the AP that they, they heard that, that rapid gunfire, and had no idea where it was coming from. Players from both teams cleared the field. There was a moment where, I think it was Fernando Tatis, ran into the stands and grabbed family members and took them down into the dugout. Inside the stadium's Diamond Club, um, where uh, a, a couple of fans were. Guys said that people were hiding under tables and chairs. They thought there was a shooter inside the stadium. So terrifying few minutes at the Nationals game. And the Nationals had said that they were, they posted a message on the scoreboard telling fans to remain inside and thinking that they were going to resume the game. And then they called it. And they, they, they announced that a shooting had been reported Outside the third base gate, fans are encouraged to exit the ballpark via center field and right field. Can you imagine? Whew, that is brutal. So they're going to they're gonna pick up that game today where it was suspended, and then they'll play the scheduled game after that. But, you know, people ducking, people describing it as very surreal and not sure how to react. Terrifying stuff at a ball game and not anything that, um, that folks are supposed to experience at all. Couple of uh, couple of minutes here before we have to take a break. Let's grab uh, quick phone calls. Greg and Waukegan on hit and run. Good morning, Greg and Roberta. You'll be next. Hey, Greg, what's happening? Good, well, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. A quick rebuttal to the uh, Cubs fan. Uh, when you lose four starters um, in your starting lineup, it's going to be tough to be uh, beating people over five hundred. But second, but I want to talk about um, Rick Hahn real quick. No more Breaking Bad um, half measures. Um, could have got Brandy, but we went and got Eden. Okay, that's forgiven. Forgiven. Um, but I think the, a good trade is to the Cubs. Um, we need a, we need another reliever. Kimball is out there. Um, they're going to need a, probably a first baseman. We got Gavin Sheets there, and probably a middle of prospects such as Stevers or Lambert. I think that'd be a good trade for the Cubs and, and for the White Sox. Greg, um, Greg wants Craig Kimbrell. Th- thank you, Greg, for the call. Greg wants Craig Kimbrell on the south side. They've got a closer uh, that they're spending a lot of money on. I don't think they'll be getting another one. Um, and, and, you know, 
Um, they could sort out who gets to close. Should be Kimbrell. Um, but I don't think they'll bother to go down that road in terms of the dollars that Kimbrell is making. Kimbrell is one of the most appetizing trade chips on the entire market. And I, I'm fascinated to see where he goes and for how much. Roberta is in Berkeley and is now on hit and run on the score this morning. Hello. Good morning, Roberta. Hi, Matt Siegel. I'm just very upset how you're pushing to trade Wilson Contreras. My daughter said it's all over the Internet. He's one, the leader of their team. You'd never get a... Uh, catcher like him and then for the uh, uh, what you call it, the Peterson trade you don't trade with Atlanta I learned years ago they uh, fleece you they give you their worst prospects uh, Jeb Hoyer does not know how to make a trade do you think he's going to get something good for Greg Kimball the wor- or the best uh, reliever we've had for years and Andrew Chapin we should never trade them what are we going to get for them the guy we got for Jack or uh, Jack Peterson is a uh, what is he, a uh, first baseman that strikes out all the time, has six home runs. I don't even know if he can bend over to play first base. And I think we should, big trade is uh, let the, what's it called, Tom Ricketts sell the team because he's not interested. He's interested in building parks and playgrounds around there, and he's not interested in keeping his good players. That's my piece. And I think that some of, I think I'm the only woman that calls a score because I think there everybody on the score is a cub hater. I don't know are any of you guys really cub fans? I that's not fair, Roberta. A lot of people are cub fans here. It's just that some cub fans right now are willing to face the awkward truth that they're not good enough to win and that sometimes you have to go backwards to go forwards in the long term. That sounds like that is not something that you believe in. Uh, pitchers. Why did he let Darvish go? Why didn't he get us a couple of good pitchers? And then everybody's talking about trading Kyle Hendricks too. Are you guys crazy? He's our best <laughs> Th- pitcher. Thank you, Roberta. Um, I personally am not advocating to trade either Kyle Hendricks or Wilson Contreras. But you got to take the phone calls. You got to hear what's out there. And you got to find out. And it depends how far you're willing to go backwards. I don't think they're going to be willing to go backwards for more than a year. And they could always, you know, move Contreras next year if they if they really wanted to. They will have an upper opportunity to do it. Or they could re-sign him and let him be a catcher and a leader on this team for years to come, which is a distinct possibility. I really appreciate that phone call. You cub hater. I love what's that what's that, Sean? You cub hater. Right, well, no, it's not just it's not just me. But I just there there was a lot of good stuff in that phone call, and I look forward to Chris Tannehill bringing that back on Parkins and Spiegel tomorrow, between two o'clock and six o'clock. Um, thank you, Roberta. Man, I love working in this town. I do. The passion is real. It's real, and I understand where she's coming from. She's not alone. She wants a win. They're choosing to go backwards. They chose it in the offseason with Darvish. It made people so mad. I understand. And now you're not good enough? Well, maybe maybe the trade of Darvish is why you're not good enough. You ever think about that? Roberta has. I feel you, Roberta. Thank you. We're not all Cub haters, though. We're not. We're just trying to speak sensibly as best we can. It is hit and run on Sunday morning on The Score. I'm Matt Spiegel here with you. Clayton Richard is next. Looking forward to that conversation. Amy McCullough at 1130 as well. Keep it right here on Hit and Run on The Score. Well, maybe Mike Norton knows.